Good morning, Canberra, and welcome to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show. Today, we are talking about de-extinction. Good morning again, Canberra. Welcome to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show, your weekly dose of science on a Sunday. And it's 11 o'clock. This is a little bit new for for me. Um, first time hosting at 11 o'clock. We normally broadcast at 11.30, but we're changing slightly for um, from, from here on in. So 11 till 12 will be our new time. So thank you for, for tuning in at 11 o'clock. Or you might be listening on our podcast or online somewhere where it's not 11 o'clock. So good evening. Good early morning to you, whatever time it may be. So, my name's Ian McDonald. I'll be your host today. And joining me in the studio, we have Eleanor, who will be co-hosting with me. Good morning. And we are, like I said, talking about de-extinction. So... Why are we talking about de-extinction? Well, I'm getting on the Jurassic World train. I saw Jurassic World last night, uh, yesterday afternoon. Have you seen it yet, Eleanor? I haven't seen it yet. Is, I it, can't... is it any good? Oh, uh, well, I'm a <laughs> bit of a fan of Jurassic Park, so I, I did like it. Um, yeah, there's dinosaurs. It's a cool storyline. It gets you intrigued about science and paleontology and all that sort of stuff. Well, um, the special effects looked pretty impressive yeah, in, the, but in the little to, trailers. To think that it was 22 years ago when the first Jurassic Park came out, um, you can definitely see how the special effects have kind of um, come into come into its own since then. I think it says a lot that it's been 22 years and we're still fascinated by this idea of bringing things back from extinction. Absolutely, yeah. And you wonder how many um, scientists it has actually um, created from inspiring <laughs> from the movie and and watching it. So today, obviously, the, the obvious choice to talk about is could it actually happen? Are we any closer to creating Jurassic Park or in this instance, Jurassic World? And I'm sorry to say, but the answer is still no. But before we get into that, I thought I'd talk a little bit about this day in history and in particularly in science on the 14th of June. Um, and it's a happy birthday to Aloise Alzheimer, um, who was born in 1868. So that name probably sounds familiar, the yeah, Alzheimer last name. So Aloise, I think it is pronounced, uh, in 1906 was the first scientist or um, geneticist to identify Alzheimer's disease pathology in the brain of, of a, of a, I guess a post-mortem brain. So what he was able to do was follow it through from symptoms mm -hmm. through to pathology in the brain. And he was able to identify the, the plaques in the brain, wow. um, that identify someone with Alzheimer's disease, particularly the, the post-mortem signs. Um, so yeah, that was back in 1906 and almost, uh, a hundred years later, a bit more, we still actually have no cure for Alzheimer's disease, and we're still learning more and more about it every day. Um, in 1972, on this day, the DDT insecticide was actually banned in the USA, and shortly after, it was banned in, in many other countries as well. So, for those that don't know, DDT is an insecticide used in a lot of agricultural areas for crops, for crop dusting, um, and it was found that it was actually quite harmful to, to human health, so... 
they basically banned it, um, which was a, a good thing to do. Yeah, that's the problem with a lot of insecticides. If they're good at killing insects, they're usually pretty good at killing other things too. Absolutely, so. yeah. And I guess it's not necessarily just humans, but it's also other um, animals that it can be impacting on. Yeah, and as, as soon as it gets into the waterways, then you've got a bit of a problem on your hands. Absolutely. Um, in 1938, the... Uh, I guess the, the chemical that is known as chlorophyll, um, was put under a patent, um, and so that's used quite commonly now in, um, in surgery, um, and, and in medical practice. Um, so yes, happy birthday to chlorophyll there, which was patented. I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying that right, but that's actually a word <laughs> in, tricky, in 1938. Word. Uh, in 1834, there were two big things that happened on this day. Sandpaper was also filed for a patent. Oh, fantastic. Um, <laughs> and we all use that quite commonly yeah, now, daily. don't we? Yeah. So, um, um, that was back in 1834, so yeah. a very long time ago. People um, been sanding things for a really long time. <laughs> and in the same year, uh, the diving suit was also filed for a patent. So we don't really use that anymore, but... Um, but yeah, the, the diving suit was, was, was filed for a patent. Um, so like I said, today we are going to be talking about de-extinction and whether it actually is possible to bring things back from extinction. And so this is kind of back from me um, seeing Jurassic World yesterday, but I also thought I'd put a different spin on the topic and we'd also talk a little bit about other animals. Um, can we bring back other extinct animals from, um, from extinction? So before we get um, into that, let's play some music to start start off the show um and so a nice little one to to get us in is a song called i used to love this song as a kid um and it's called walk the dinosaur excellent Oh my god, that brings me back to my childhood. That was the 80s hit Walk the Dinosaur by Was not Was not sure where that band name <laughs> came up from, but welcome to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show. My name's Ian, and we're um, co-host with me today is Eleanor, and we are talking about de-extinction, and that's why I was just playing Walk the Dinosaur then, because we were kind of wanting to have a bit more of a think about 22 years later, since Jurassic Park was first released in the cinemas, this whole idea of a dinosaur theme park in, you know, back in the 1990s was was thought up but is it actually possible and now in 2015 22 years of science later are we any closer to actually figuring it out some of you may recognize this theme music that i'm just about to play um it's probably one of the most recognizable theme songs it starts off quite soft but you'll get to the the point of it did you play this in band when you're at school? I used to play this song in band, that's why I know it so well. But it's such a recognisable theme music. But this is the theme song from Jurassic Park, and as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, that's Jurassic Park, that's what gets you thinking about this whole topic. Yeah, it's very emotive. You can think of the dinosaurs walking past, and you've got the T-Rex roaring. And there's a helicopter, isn't there, like, swooping yeah. the valley? Yeah. I've only seen little bits and pieces of Jurassic Park. So, what me and Eleanor thought we'd talk about today is the whole science behind Jurassic Park. 
but also whether it is even possible um, to bring back animals from extinction. And not just uh, dinosaurs, but can we bring back animals like the woolly mammoth, Mm. the thylacine, um, and other extinct animals. So, Eleanor, do you want to give our listeners a bit more of an overview about the whole science behind Jurassic Park and how they basically said that um, dinosaurs can be brought back from extinction, how that whole theme progressed? Well, my understanding is that uh, in, in Jurassic Park, the original film, There were some fantastically advanced scientists. Um, They had a shiny lab. They had access to probably a heap more funding than than we might have The most important part is to have the shiny lab. (laughs) You've got to have a shiny lab. You've got to have a lot of money. And they very luckily stumbled upon a mosquito that was encased in amber, so tree sap. Um, It had been preserved intact. And inside this mosquito was DNA belonging to a dinosaur. Um, so obviously this mosquito had sucked the dinosaur's blood and then had uh, suffered under tree sap and they were able to extract that DNA, implant it into, I think, a chicken egg or some sort of bird egg and, and grow up real Yeah, I remember dinosaurs. frogs being in there at some point as well. I think they had to do uh, a lot of mixing and matching. Yeah, but it's also interesting how, like, They've only seemed to have found one mosquito, yet can create a bunch of different dinosaur species. Yeah, they had a, they had a big <laughs> array of dinosaurs. They had yeah. raptors and T-Rexes, all from, from one little mosquito. It's this whole idea of what's called genetic splicing, I think is what how they refer to it in the movie. Okay. Are you able to give a definition of, of genetic <laughs> splicing? Well, I think in the context of Jurassic Park, it might be a little pseudoscience-y, but certainly the idea of um, incorporating the gene from one creature or, or one source into another is is really common i mean we do it on a day-to-day basis in our labs uh kind of on a more boring scale we might take the gene that for example expresses um bee silk protein and uh you know the bumblebees you know use on their wings and legs and then put it into the bacteria e coli and so we have our little mutant e coli growing up bee proteins um, actually, there's there's quite a cool example. They managed to take that silk protein, splice it into goats, uh, and the goats actually produced silk in their milk. Um, mm, they could yeah. purify silk from goat's milk. So that's kind of like a, a, a real-life example of gene splicing. Mm. When it comes to growing up T-Rexes, mm. uh, you'd kind of have to go a, another order of magnitude <laughs> up in terms of how many things you're mixing together, I guess lizards and chickens and um, your little bit of mosquito-saved dinosaur blood. But it is it is definitely real science to be able to uh, put one gene into a different organism and have it express and work. Yeah, I think definitely the the science behind Jurassic Park and and the genetic idea of Jurassic Park is legitimate science. But can we actually do it? Well, I've I've found a few articles on the internet by um, various science communicators which have tried to answer the question of could Jurassic Park ever come true. Um, and, you know, we all agree that it would be extremely cool to be able to go on a holiday and see some dinosaurs Definitely. and go to Jurassic World and, you know, make turn it into a um, into a holiday for a couple of weeks. Oh, I get excited just going to the zoo, so <laughs> yeah. going to see dinosaurs would be insane. Absolutely. But unfortunately, what the evidence is saying is that dinosaur DNA does not exist. Oh. Um, so after a cell dies... Um, So do its enzymes, its water, and its microbes. They also start to break down the bonds which hold this DNA together. 
So this is slowed down at colder temperatures, which is why we've basically managed to get decent samples of frozen mammoths in the past, and that's something that we might talk about a bit later. Um, so, but scientists calculated fairly recently that the DNA has a half-life of 521 years. Okay. So to put that into some perspective, um, after... Oh, this means it takes 521 years for half of the bonds holding DNA together to break. So after another 521 years, half of those remaining bronze will be broken down again and again. Um, but even if samples were preserved at colder temperatures, like they're suggesting with the woolly mammoth, um, it's estimated that after 1.5 million years um, that the sequences, the DNA sequences would be unreadab- unreadable. And after 6.8 million years, every single bond would be destroyed. Um, so... How long ago were, were dinosaurs on the planet? When did they become extinct? Oh, gosh. I Many, many millions of <laughs> years ago. Turning into trivia now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's believed to be about 66 million years ago. And we're talking here that the best case scenario would be to have a sample that's 6.8 million years um, old. We might be able to get a single DNA strand from, from this piece of genetic material, but something that we're talking, you know, 66 million years ago, it's a little bit unreasonable to, to suggest. Um, so the author of this article, who happened to be Justine Alford, went a little bit more into it, um, and she said, even if somehow the DNA hadn't entirely degraded and there were some bits of, of it left... You can't just fill in those bits with DNA from other organisms, unfortunately, um, like they had done in Jurassic Park or had suggested. So she basically went on to say, we would have no blueprint sequence available to determine what the missing bits should be filled with. So even though modern day birds are similar to extinct dinosaurs that we might want to try to bring back, so... Um, some bird species are considered to be avian dinosaurs, you still can't make a hybrid dino bird, as they're referred to, using the DNA. Um, so what else do we know? Um, even if we were miraculously able to uh, find some use- usable dino DNA, we still wouldn't be able to do anything with it. Um, so the scientists in the movie apparently implanted the DNA into an ostrich womb. Oh. So that was the, the animal. Um, there is a question mark after that, so I think <laughs> it's a little bit um, not known exactly what what, um, what type of... of bird they used in the movie um but they basically think that this means an egg cell um and injecting dna into the womb of an animal won't magically make an embryo (laughs) appear that's unfortunately not how it works so this is actually a pretty interesting article it's called could jurassic park ever come through uh, ever come true and it's by justine elford i'm sure if you you google it you can um find a little bit more out about it but Unfortunately, since the launch of Jurassic Park in 1993 and now Jurassic World, which was out in cinemas on Thursday and I happened to see yesterday, we are no closer to being able to create Aww. this sort of theme park. But like you've said, Eleanor, we still have some pretty cool zoos out there, That's some pretty true. cool theme parks. Um, and so after this next song, we might actually talk about... Can we bring back other animals from extinction? And I think maybe the next coolest one might be the woolly mammoth. That'd be pretty exciting. That's 4,000 years ago. I would definitely Um, go see one of those in a zoo. I would love to see a thylacine. (laughs) Tasmanian Um, tiger, yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. Thank you for picking me up on that. Yeah, using the species name. (laughs) Um, 
so anyway um talking about jurassic park and how it'd be cool to to see um to see this happen let's let's have a song here yeah so here's creeping up slowly by taxi ride And that was Creeping Up Slowly by Taxi Ride. So, welcome back. You're listening to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show on 2XXFM 98.3. Or you might also be listening online via our live streaming service. You can download the TuneIn app and listen that way. And we're also available through the podcast store um, on iTunes. Or if you just search for the Fuzzy Logic Science Show in Google, our RSS feed will also come up. So, um... Good evening, good morning to our online listeners as well. So today we are talking about de-extinction. It's a pretty cool word. Um, so we know what extinction means. So adding D in front of that basically means can we bring things back from extinction? And the reason that I thought this would be a cool topic to talk about on this week's show is that I happened to see Jurassic World um, yesterday and, and you know, it was launched back in 1993, the first ever Jurassic Park and this whole idea of can we have dinosaur themed um, parks? basically and is the science behind Jurassic Park even realistic and um, the first 20 minutes of the show we were talking about unfortunately no it's not it can't happen due to the half-life of a DNA sample and that basically the the pretty much the oldest living sample of DNA that we could have that could still potentially work today would have to be about 6 million years old and dinosaurs were believed to exist about 66 million years ago. But I do have an article here which was recently um, written just a couple of days ago actually which was about a dinosaur fossil which has been found which appears to contain 75 million year old blood cells. Yeah, I saw this. There was a tissue sample. Yeah, so basically um, we might have some blood cells which could be used, but does this mean we're any closer to a Jurassic Park phenomena? Probably not. So a bit about the article um, is that it basically says that they've found that these blocks of decayed bone are devoid of skin, flesh, blood, and and other types of organic matters. but they found a new technique to analyse fossil bones. Um, and if their original findings are backed up, they think that they might be able to rethink our theories on how long soft tissue can survive. Um, so basically what they're suggesting is that they found um, 75 million old year old blood cells, but they don't yet know if they're viable cells and whether the DNA from these blood cells could be used yeah. to create dinosaurs so we can't get too excited just yet yeah but um this is this is from the research from the imperial college in london um and yeah they've used all sorts of fancy science techniques to be able to analyze the the tissues and the cultures and to to see if it works and the the work was actually published in the the journal nature communications which is a very high profile journal um so, while we shouldn't be holding our breath that Jurassic Park might be coming true from the, the first part of what we've learnt in the show, um, who knows, there's still some more science to be found and maybe with new techniques coming out with how we can actually create um, DNA and, not create, I guess, how we can extract DNA and, and turn it into something viable through tissue cultures. We might be able to, to do something with it. But let's go a little bit further, not further, a bit more recent in time. So 
there's another idea that we might be able to bring back the woolly mammoth. Um, that's sort of this cool elephant-like looking animal. Um, yeah, I think they were sort of the staple diet of cavemen, if my cartoon yeah. knowledge is, is accurate. Yes. Ice, I- Ice Age. Is, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great movie. Um, so, basically, what the... the um, the new bit of research is suggesting is can we bring back woolly mammoths from extinction, which were believed to exist about 4,000 years ago? Um, and the answer to that is it's a lot more closer to a yes because of the way that the specimens have been preserved. And so we kind of know that the woolly mammoths lived in more of a icy, colder areas, and it was believed during the Ice Age that there were some specimens that were... Um, preserved really well because they basically froze Mm. Um, and this is where this whole idea of could we basically just get some woolly mammoth DNA inserted into an elephant and and see what happens Um, well that idea is kind of happening already Um, so scientists are starting to insert woolly mammoth DNA into elephant cells so this hasn't actually been published yet but there is an article online which says that scientists have taken a small step closer to that goal by inserting the DNA of of a woolly mammoth into lab grown elephant cells so these were Harvard geneticists um, and they used a technique known is CRISPR, and that seems to make sense to you, Eleanor. CRISPR, CRISPR is pretty cool. I mean, we're getting into the the more nitty gritty of genetics here, but it's essentially a, a targeted genome editing tool. So we've got all the instructions in our DNA that uh, tell our body how to make proteins, how to build up an organism. CRISPR is a combination of a couple of different enzymes and, and biological tools that can duck into your genome, find a particular area of that you know, extensive DNA code and then perform edits. And the interesting thing about CRISPR is it can perform these edits even in organisms that are fully grown. So normally we do our DNA manipulations in, um, you know, tiny little bits of DNA that aren't yet in an organism. Uh, But CRISPR has the capacity to actually uh, do editing live, like while you're actually... um, you know, in a, in a human being, we could potentially treat genetic diseases using mm. this sort of technique. And uh, by the looks of it, we could potentially resurrect woolly mammoths. Yeah. So what I can kind of see here from reading this article is that they're also using this term of genetic splicing and looking at genetic traits mm. and taking one trait um, and trying to put it into another animal and seeing if you can do that. Like we were talking about before, sort of jokingly, can we put tails on chickens um, <laughs> and things like that? Um and yeah, it sounds hilarious, but it's actually possible, right? Yeah, yeah. No, look, it's 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 pretty viable in terms of, and, and certainly one of the advantages of looking at this woolly mammoth setup is that elephants are pretty closely related uh, genetically to the woolly mammoth, mm. um, and that that simplifies the process for these scientists because, um, like you were saying in that article you mentioned before, without the blueprint, without knowing where these little um, scraps of DNA fit in, it's very difficult to piece together the puzzle. But if we've got an existing blueprint from an elephant, then we can sort of select for the traits that we want from a woolly mammoth and, and sneak them in using this CRISPR technique and maybe have zoos full of huge woolly tusked creatures. <laughs> yeah. Kind of cool. 
So basically, what the the science is that they've done so far with with the woolly mammoth DNA is they haven't yet gone got to the point where they've been able to put woolly mammoth DNA into like elephants and you know create a get get an elephant cow to give birth to, <laughs> to a woolly mammoth baby. Um, I think there's still a lot of ethical issues around whether we can actually do that or not. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but this is still very much in in sort of what we call tissue culture or in vitro um, mode. So they basically got the DNA cells from from the the mammoth and put it into elephant cells, and they've been able to sort of hybridize these cells um, and create sort of living elephant cells which contain woolly mammoth DNA. Mm. So that's about the, the closest that we've gotten so far, but... Like we're saying, by doing this, we're actually learning a lot about the techniques as well. And we we're just talking about the CRISPR technique um, with within genetics. Um, so yeah, there's there's still a very much um, very much a, a lot that we're we're learning about this. Um, but yeah, as the article goes on, um, it does talk about the fact that it would be quite unethical to do this to an elephant cow which um yeah obviously <laughs> we don't know what the effects would be of giving birth to a, a woolly mammoth like creature and i guess it wouldn't be a purebred woolly mammoth it would be sort of have some of the traits maybe the fur and the characteristics of of a woolly mammoth um and then I guess it's, yeah, what about how, how do we know how the woolly mammoth is going to react? Like That's it's true. used to living, um, in the snow, <laughs> in the snow. And then we might put it, uh, who knows where? I think they're talking about Asian elephants, not African elephants okay. at this point. So they're a lot smaller yeah. as well. Um, well, so, hey, you know, bring them, bring them here to on a, on a cold Canberra morning. And I think the woolly <laughs> mammoth baby will feel quite at home. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Canberra Zoo. Uh, we're putting that out to you. Yep. <laughs> so. That's a bit about where we're at with the woolly mammoth, but let's talk about something that's a little bit more closer to home and the Tasmanian tiger. So I'm pretty sure that we have some really good preserved specimens, actually some fully intact specimens of the Tasmanian tiger. I believe there's even a specimen out um, at Gungahlin at the National Wildlife Collection there that CSIRO runs. Um, So the Tasmanian tiger or the thylacine, as some people might might know it as uh, became extinct in around the 1930s because it was a, considered a really good game animal, so something that was really fun to hunt. Mm. Um, but little did we know that that meant that they would go extinct. And so, obviously, they were only found on the Tasmanian um, sort of landscape and not on mainland Australia. I, I don't believe they've ever been on, on mainland Australia. I could be wrong there. Um but yeah, could we take some DNA from these Tasmanian tigers and, and bring them back from extinction? Um, so basically, what's the latest research with that? So we've got um, scientists from Melbourne who have said, yes, it could be possible. And what they've done is they've inserted part of a gene involved in bone growth from a fabled animal into the Tasmanian devil, which is a genetically close relative mm. to the Tasmanian tiger. That all sounds a little bit, um, a, a little bit full on. But basically, what they've said is that this is the first time that DNA from an extinct species has been used to induce a functional response in another living organism. Um, so basically, they've taken the res- the genetic trait of bone growth yeah. from the Tasmanian tiger, by the sounds of it, and put it into the Tasmanian devil. Um, so we're sort and- of one step higher, higher up 
than than that woolly mammoth example where they were doing all this in in petri dishes in cell culture um and now by the sounds of it they've actually um put put a gene from from the thylacine into living actual tasmanian devils yeah Um, so they're basically saying that it's the closest that these scientists have ever come to bringing back back strands of dna into a living fetus um which is they suggest is extremely encouraging for the future yeah um so a little bit more about the tasmanian tiger so it was a large meat-eating native australian marsupial which is which is pretty cool it wasn't actually a um well, it wasn't a, a, a mammal, I guess. It was a marsupial. Um, but it was, yeah, it was hunted to extinction in the early 1900s. And they know that the last known animal died in captivity in Hobart Zoo in 1936. So I guess back in 1936, we don't really have the same, the same technology that we have available to us now to be able to sort of keep a specimen intact. But apparently they do still have some fairly good DNA samples from the Tasmanian tiger, some of which are actually in Canberra. So, we'll play a a song now. Um, So, this is Stand by Jewel. Welcome back to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show, your dose of weekly dose of science on a Sunday. So, we're on from 11 till 12 now on a Sunday. So, thank you for for joining us and keeping up with our new time. Uh, So, that's going to be 11 till 12 o'clock every Sunday from here on in. Uh, So, today, uh, my name's Ian. I'm I'm the host today and I'm joined by Eleanor. um, And we are talking about de-extinction um and this was brought up from the fact that i saw jurassic world yesterday reminded me of my childhood when jurassic park came out 22 <laughs> years ago i was one of those kids that collected all the cards and all those cool things the and little plastic dinosaurs steven spielberg did a great job in just enticing a whole bunch of kids into into dinosaurs again i mean it's not hard to get kids interested in into dinosaurs but yeah good work for steven spielberg <laughs> for uh, getting more kids interested in dinosaurs and science so it got me thinking and it got Eleanor thinking about can we achieve Jurassic Park and we've been talking about um, bringing back animals from extinction and all the way back to 66 million years ago can we bring dinosaurs back from extinction can we bring the woolly mammoth back from extinction can we bring the Tasmanian tiger back from extinction but there are actually lots of different animals um, which have become extinct, obviously, over time, um, some more recent than dinosaurs, they were able to actually bring back um, an extinct species of goat. Excellent. Um, because that's because it was so closely related to to goats that it wasn't that as hard to, to bring it back. So it was called the Perinian Ibex, um, and it's a pretty cool-looking goat here that I can see on my computer computer screen um so basically the perineum ibex became the first extinct animal to ever become unextinct or de-extinct whatever the word is that we want to <laughs> use um and here's the kicker at least for seven minutes <laughs> oh no the clone fetus which contained reanimated dna from the last known living perineum ibex was successfully brought to term after being implanted into the womb of a domestic living goat um 
although the ibex died of lung difficulty seven minutes after birth. Um, so the breakthrough ensures the inevitability of resurrecting extinct species. So the last known Perunian ibex was a female named Celia, um, who was killed by a falling tree in 2000. That's really horrible. Oh, this is very um, sad. <laughs> But it was her DNA that was used to create the short-lived clone. I probably should have read that one before I That's started a bit reading. Of a downer it. I was for like, a "Oh, Sunday this is going to be a happy story." Sorry, everyone, and only survived seven minutes. Just horrible goat um, death. Yeah, so that was you know not that recent. The dodo is also another one, another bird species that they think they might be able to bring back from extinction because it hasn't been that long um, since its extinction—about eighty years or so. Um, so the dodo bait may soon be reborn if scientists can locate enough DNA to create a cone, a clone that could be implanted into the eggs of closely related modern pigeons. Okay. Uh, so the dodo is basically a larger version of, of a, of a pigeon. Um, yeah, so they think that the DNA samples that they have might be, um, in, in museums might be good preserved spe- specimens. Um, there's the saber-toothed cats. Um, so if we want to have some epic animals that have cool canine teeth um, around the place, they reckon that they might be able to bring saber-toothed cats back from extinction. So they went extinct about 11,000 years ago. Okay. Um, but they are saying that the fossil specimens haven't survived um, modern times too much. Um, so they don't know... It how well that DNA is intact to be able to bring back um, saber-toothed cats back into extinction. But, yeah, it's kind of a bit sad looking at all the animals that have become extinct to yeah. whether we can bring them back. Um, I believe the, there's a, a white rhinoceros species that just recently went extinct in Africa. Yeah, yeah, quite the recently. White I think it was. I think it was the white rhino. Yeah. Um, and I don't... There might still be some in captivity, um, but yeah, there's... They're certainly very, very highly threatened uh, if there are any left. But, I mean, all the evidence that we've got sort of from this list uh, and the ease of bringing things back from extinction, the the key things we seem to need to have are something that's closely related to it and relatively recent DNA. So, you know, with modern technology, if there is a white rhino left somewhere around hopefully someone can quickly extract some um dna and we can put it aside and wait till things settle down a bit and um splice it into a different rhino and cross fingers absolutely so this whole theme of de-extinction does have a little bit of a canberra um twist to it Mm. have you ever heard of the eastern betong the betong that's like a little burrowing thing isn't it yeah yeah kind of a really little um rat kangaroo like animal (laughs) um but they have they're extinct on mainland australia okay but there's still a few um that are around in tasmania um you know you would know of mulligan's flat yeah yeah so mulligan's flat actually has a program at the moment where they're breeding these eastern batongs um and they've got a really cool campaign happening at the moment which is trying to raise money for these um eastern batongs um and i can't really do it justice so i'm going to play this short youtube clip to introduce the topic for you Hey, 
I'm Brian, and I'm an Eastern Betong. If you haven't heard of us before, well, you're not exactly alone. See, we've been extinct on mainland Australia for over a hundred years, but it wasn't always that way. In fact, right around the time your ancestors were raising the flag at Eureka, mine were happily bouncing around most of Eastern Australia, digging up truffles and aerating the soil for the overall good of the ecosystem. Then, someone decided that Australia was missing out on fox hunting. Tally-ho! And then it'd be a good idea to introduce them. Next thing you know, we're extinct everywhere, except Tassie. Now, after a hundred years, it's time to make a comeback. So I got on a boat and brought my family here to Mulligan's Flat, where we built a house and we built a fence. And life was pretty darn good. But lately, our place has been getting a bit small. So we need to make it bigger. And for that, we need to raise some cash. I'm doing my part to try and get a job. But it's kind of harder than I thought. So that's where you come in. There's still only 200 of us on mainland Australia. So we really need your help if we're going to survive. So please, help us build a better home. Visit betongbungalow.org. So that was the Eastern Batong and um, Mulligan's Flat have started up a campaign for Brian and Betty, the, the Eastern Betong. Um, and yeah, they're basically starting to um, reproduce these Eastern Betongs in Mulligan's Flat. But yeah, now that they're actually doing really well, they need to create um, a bigger enclosure for these Betongs so the animals like the foxes and predators can't actually um, get in, particularly feral um, or invasive um, predators. So that pe- um, campaign is actually online. It's called Betong Bungalow. So B-E-T-T-O-N-G and Bungalow, B-U-N-G-A-L-O-W dot org. And you can watch that YouTube clip online line and so they're trying to raise six hundred thousand dollars to create a bigger enclosure out at mulligan's flat so this whole idea of de-extinction does actually have a, a local twist to it if we're thinking about you know we don't want animals to become extinct anymore particularly native animals um then you know we have to actually play our role as humans into to how we can do that and that's not introducing um threats to these species um whether that be other animals human invasion climate invasion environmental impacts things like that um but it's a really cool campaign that's being um produced by mulligan's flat and oh gosh a couple of months ago i was talking to to kate grarock who was one of the senior ecologists out there at mulligan's flat and i want to get her on the show again to to have a talk about this campaign um fantastic campaign yeah and I think it's also really creative. Um, you, you you only just got to listen to that little one and a half minute clip. And I think it really gets the point across as to what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and what the story is and making it a bit personable, a bit funny and a bit quirky Definitely. is always a really good thing in, in communication to be able to do that. So... You're listening to 2XXFM on 98.3. The time is currently 11.51am. Um, so just a reminder that we're now on air, the Fuzzy Logic Science Show from 11 till 12. And to finish off the show, I might play a, a, a final song for you, which is Wide Open Spaces by the Dixie Chip. 
Oh, some Dixie Chicks for your Sunday morning. It's 11.55. You're listening to 2XXFM on 98.3 uh, in Canberra. So, welcome. So, we're also streaming online. You can listen to us on our website, um, 2XXFM, or via the TuneIn app. And the Fuzzy Logic Science Show is also available on the podcast iTunes store, so you can listen to some of our shows um, through searching for Fuzzy Logic on, on the podcast store. So, welcome. Um, so, we today are talking about the theme of de-extinction, and that basically means bringing back animals from extinction. Um, and the whole idea of the show came up from when I watched Jurassic World yesterday. Um, I'm a kid at heart. I <laughs> love Jurassic Park when it came out 22 years ago. I was one of those kids that brought all the um, little cards and things like that. And it's a great way to get people learning about um, dinosaurs and about science as well. Um, so we were talking about at the start of the show, are we any closer since Jurassic Park was launched 22 years ago um, to creating a Jurassic Park? Um, and the answer is no. Um, and we came up with all sorts of reasons as to whether the DNA needs to be intact. And we talked about genetic splicing and whether we can put parts of DNA from dinosaur into chickens, into <laughs> frogs, into all sorts of things. Um, it all sounds a bit crazy. Um, and yeah, it all sounds a little bit hard at this point. But the good news is, well, whether you think it's good news or not, the Jurassic Park movies never end well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, the they're coming up with new sort of genetic techniques on a very, um, you know, all the time to sort of be able to better use genetic splicing and whether that's not necessarily with dinosaurs, but we were talking about the fact that can we bring woolly mammoths back, which have really good preserved DNA specimens? Can we bring back the Tasmanian tiger, um, the dodo, even the white one rhinoceros, which recently went, ex- went extinct? Um, but also the fact that there are so many species which could go extinct into the future and we don't want that to happen so you know we're very close and we need to be careful with the tasmanian devil yeah um with pandas with tigers in general um particularly sumatran tigers um so yeah while this idea does very much have the cool sort of jurassic park um storyline to it there are other things that we can use this type of genetic splicing techniques to to try and save a lot of species from from going extinct and it's very much a bigger story of you know that some of these species aren't extinct yet so we need to uh, are there ways that we can help yeah. them before think, they go extinct i think the take-home message is that it's going to be really hard to bring things back and it's going to be a lot easier to save the things we've already got. So certainly that Batong Bungalow um, website, you know, if, if this is something that you're passionate about, please do go and check it out because it's going to take so much more money and time and effort to try and bring these lovely creatures back if we lose them all. But if we put the effort in now and, and try and make a difference while they're still around, it simplifies the process a lot. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's cool to be able to think that we can just go down the road to Mulligan's Flat and see um, an Australian species that isn't able to be seen anywhere else in mainland Australia and we have that um, privilege in Canberra. So, don't think about it as, you know, let's try and we, we need to sort of save all these species and put lots of effort into it, but think about it as a privilege of being able to have these animals on our doorstep and, and keeping them there um, amongst our ecosystems. 
Um, so it's currently on 11.59. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Fuzzy Logic Science Show. And thank you to Eleanor for coming into the studio and uh, thanks for being my co-host today. It was fun. Um, so, yeah, we talked about this whole idea of de-extinction. It was a bit of fun um, going back to whether Jurassic Park can even happen. We all know if Jurassic Park did happen, we would all be there in a heartbeat. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's probably not going to happen in our lifetime, if at all, from the science that we looked up today. Uh, but thank you for tuning in to the Fuzzy Logic Science Show on 2XXFM. Uh, join us next week um, for the same time from 11 o'clock till 12 12 o'clock. Remember, that's 11 o'clock till 12 o'clock is when our show is now on. So thank you.